Well, Justin. Well, Andros. It's 2023. Still is. It was last time too, but it is still 2023. And I don't have a jetpack. That's that's my problem. I uh, I was supposed to have a jetpack by now. I mean, if you watch like Back to the Future 2, you're supposed to have a jetpack and like crazy, you know, hoverboards and all that. Like, what was that like six years ago, seven years ago now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was supposed to have a flying car and the Jaws 37 was supposed to be out with uh, the 3D billboards are, are kind of here. I've seen those things. Yeah, they're, they're getting closer. I mean, you still need, uh, you still need some supplemental, like maybe a phone or, or goggles to be able to see AR like that. But, but we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And who knows, maybe Marty McFly's son had like some kind of like contact lens that we just didn't know about in that movie. I, I don't know, man, but but I do know this. Uh, for this particular news update episode of the Marketing Geeks, we will find out why AR may not be happening as soon as all that. Why the European Parliament may make some drastic changes to how we play video games. Why schools are changing the way they teach. And you need to learn a new skill in order to uh, change your job. So. Uh, a lot to cover. All that and more. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm Andre Sturgeon. And I'm Justin Womack. And we are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So since I'm editing this one, you may not hear that uh, wonderful polka music that we got from last week. Uh, Andros, how about that polka? That was the polka. <laughs> it kind of sounded like that. I like it, though. I, I warmed up to it. I like it. How you doing, man? What's uh... I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm doing quite well. Um, actually, a little bit uh, curious about yourself and, uh, and what's going on there in, uh, in the Netherlands these days in this new year of ours. Oh, same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Well, I, I got to tell you, I mean, look, uh, people, uh, haters are going to hate, but uh, sometimes the European Union, I think, has some ideas and some people don't like those ideas because it stomps on my freedoms. But um, uh, first of all, I'd like to share a bit of news about the European Parliament. This is uh, from uh, gameindustry.biz which uh, talks about the game industry, but this is also all over the uh, news right now today. European Parliament votes to take action against loot boxes, hmm. gaming addiction, gold farming, and more. So um, how, 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 how's your son now? My son is four now, and he's, he's very into video games. We haven't really gotten into 
that model of game yet. Because when, when you say like loot boxes, the first thing that pops in my head and, and correct me, um, my understanding of, of loot boxes here, but my first thing is like Fortnite and how like my nephew, for instance, is, is very into Fortnite and he's always buying, you know, skins for the characters. So you could be like, you can get like a Spider-Man skin. So your character looks like Spider-Man. You can get like pretty much any famous character can be like kind of represented in that game. Um, and I yeah. know that I've heard stories about how incredibly expensive it can get uh, to stay on top of like those trends. But uh, tell me a little bit about loot boxes and what this, uh, what they're saying over there and the uh, European Union. Yeah, so, so loot boxes are basically a mechanism in which to give you an upgrade of some sort, to give you an advantage in, in, in a game. And, uh, and this, this was a trend that started happening with some major titles. In fact, I remember one game I was really looking forward to was Battlefront 2. It was a Star Wars themed game and it looked really awesome. And then it turned out that you buy the game, but, but after you buy the game, you still have to like, oh, if you want to play Luke Skywalker or, or Darth <laughs> Vader, you got to pay like extra money. Oh, you want this extra nice. Yeah. And, and who would want to play Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader in a Star Wars game? I mean, nobody, right? <laughs> yeah. And so essentially you have to, you have to pay for upgrades much in the same way that IBM or uh, I'm sorry, BMW right now is uh, starting to have these add-ons where if you want like, uh, seat warmers, or you want like uh, a keyless fob, you've got to pay uh, not uh, an upgrade, but you've got to pay, you, you'll have to pay like a service charge, like a, like a, like a monthly fee. And from a business business perspective, I mean, it makes sense. You're looking to create recurring revenue. I mean, this kind of started with like, I'd say software as a service, the whole SaaS industry, when they changed, you know, like Microsoft Office from being something that you would buy in the store and you'd get a disc and you'd install it and have it forever or as long as you wanted to now the monthly recurring subscription model that we see today for like every software. Like and, and truth be told, I don't have a problem with some of that stuff. Like you, you look at Adobe, uh, you know, I, I've been paying for Adobe for forever because crack copies kind of suck and, and they're always updating it. They're always updating it. I mean, maybe one of these days I'll actually update the interface. So it's not so clunky, but uh, you, you know, it's like for the amount of, of costs that would have been to buy the new version every other year, uh, I have like continuously updated clean software. So, yeah, true. And in, in regards to like the loot boxes, I, I know that like my first kind of experience to these games like this were, were like the real simple ones. So when I first got an iPhone, I was late to the party with iPhone. I got one in like two, uh, I don't know, 20 to say 2010, 2011. It was like the, the number, the four. And I would get games like Words with Friends and Scramble with Friends, which was essentially Boggle, if you've ever played that. But you'd only be able to play maybe like two games before you'd have to then pay money out of pocket to keep playing. Right. And, right. and I, I, I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a little bit of an addictive personality. And uh, No kidding. When I first rolled out with that game, I remember racking up like $40 in, uh, in charges on a stupid Boggle game back in like 2011. Um, and, and just being like, wow, wow. How did that even happen? Um, but it, it's like, I know that there is that addictive component and I think that's what was being addressed here. Right. And so, so the European union is taking aim at specifically games that are geared towards kids that have that kind of addictive element because they feel that, you know, gold farming, you know, trying to get like, uh, you know, game purchases, uh, you know, taking certain actions to, to like stay in the game. So you're, you know, you, you keep your farm up or whatever. Those, those are all uh, uh, like addictive gamifications. 
and and kids are playing it now. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm probably the only parent in the world right now that has a problem with with trying to manage my kids' phone uh, tablet time because uh, I'm sure no other parent has that issue. <laughs> but but the, you know, it's it's it is becoming a, a problem, and and you know, kids are actually starting to. Uh, come into the world with these hunched over shoulders because they're leaning over their phones and like their eyes are all fucked up. So I, I think I, I think that that this was a good thing to do. But man, we got a uh, it's a it's a real problem. I think like like how much screen time do we give these kids? And I, I think that a hundred years from now, people are going to look back at this time and and the way we look at the dark ages, the way we look at like leeching for for blood problems. You know, it's like. <laughs> Uh, you might be right. I, mean, I think there's something to be said, though, about um, the way that everything on uh, on your tablet, on your, whether it's games, whether it's social media, it's all designed for dopamine spikes. And it's all designed to be kind of replicate like the Las Vegas model um, of addiction. I mean, it's designed to keep you on these platforms, keep you on these games. Absolutely. And it's it's un, it's unhealthy, um, but also difficult to control uh, in the current environment uh, that we live in. So, yeah. So, so it's, but what's interesting about this is that, you know, just like GDPR was really uh, an offshoot of what was happening in the European union and it's affected the entire globe. I think that, uh, you know, how video games are, you know, uh, presented and, and the types of mechanics that they have is going to be really uh, a, a huge issue that we're going to have to look at moving forward because, you know, I mean, one of my biggest concerns about all of this is like the, the graphics are getting so good and we get lost in these virtual worlds. But in a sense, we, you know, why do we need to save the animals when I can go see the the Lion King movie that has singing, dancing animals, you know? <laughs> so you, you get too connected to the virtual world and less connected to the real world. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, just kind of interesting. But uh, uh, also in, in that regard, uh, and this is from the New York Times, uh, alarmed by AI chatbots, universities start revamping how they teach. So with the rise of the new popular chatbot uh, GPT, which we talked about last week, I think I called it chat uh, GDP because I have dyslexia. So, Oh yeah, well, GPT, I think. And remember I, I said the quote from Elon Musk that he called it the end of homework. Uh, for this very reason, because like, right. it's so good that you can just generate like type in a question and generate like a essay or a paper like pretty fast. I think. Yeah. And, and, and this is what's kind of interesting because you know, that the whole purpose of learning isn't just like, can I put together a paper? It's about figuring out how to structure an argument, how to research information. I mean, it's a lot easier to research information now, but even still like checking it to make sure it's valid, checking it to against any errors, uh, checking it against writing style, formulating your argument, is it clear, is it concise, learning the material, all of this stuff is bypassed. And if it's bypassed, that means that the only thing that kids are doing now is hitting a button and and there's their report and handing it in. And, and then they could just do ecstasy all weekends. <laughs> well, I would describe this as prioritizing the grade over the educational experience. And, and for me, like right. I've tried doing online classes, for instance, and I can, I can get an A in an online class, but I will learn absolutely nothing or retain absolutely nothing because of the way that the class is formatted. I tend to go to the uh, easiest path of least resistance, I will say. Of course. And when it's available to me, I'm going to take it. Um, but I, I need to be in the classroom, in the lecture, 
kind of like absorbing all that stuff for me to actually learn and retain. And so um, I, I do think right. that, you know, maybe we have to rethink how grades are, are done or whatever. I mean, if, if, it, if it means that people are just baking, you know, cheating on essays, then that's not a system that's going to be uh, producing people that are, uh, are producing for our economy. So no, not, not only that, but you know, they're, they're having trouble learning how to interact. I mean, I, I don't know if you've gone to a restaurant recently, but if you watch families dining there, everyone's on their phones, no one's talking. If you would look at kids instead of like playing out in the street, you know, getting into trouble, like, like I used to do that, they will literally sit next to each other and message each other. Like nobody calls on the phone. Nobody talks. Yeah. Not all that new too. It's been, been around for about a decade now. Yeah. Yeah, but what are we going to do when we have like a whole generation of kids that don't know how to talk to one another and don't know how to structure an argument and don't know, you know, they, they're swayed by uh, misinformation algorithms that... Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing we're about to find out because that's going to happen in the next 10 years here, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's happening now. Well, it's happening now, but I mean, like the kids that grew up to say like 2010, when things were a little bit more advanced, um, you know, when they turn 18, like 2028 is when you're going to first see like that generation that really was fully raised on like high level internet, fast speed internet, like having all that at their fingertips, like at full capacity, I would say. So, so now universities have to really think about how they, you know, uh, how they teach now because, you know, school is definitely kind of this old way of, of going about learning and kids today are so fast. Oh my God, dude. I, I, so I, I've been getting into a little bit of music production, um, and uh, uh, it's it's a lot of fun, but I've been getting my son into it, and uh, that it's amazing how quick that kid picks it up. Like he just knows how to 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 lay this stuff out. So his ability to understand the virtual world and understand you know cyber uh, like just interfaces and how they operate is much faster than like I, I'm already feeling how I'm slowing down compared to him. Yeah. I mean, so there's the, there's the good and the bad, the give and the take there. So there is some, there is some good to it, but again, um, I mean, you can't get rid of social skills in, uh, and have a happy life, I would say. So, I mean, like maybe we're creating an army of like productivity, um, and, and people that are able to find the answers to any kind of questions presented to them in a quick way. But you're right though. I mean, I do think that you cannot replace that element of being able to sit down in a one-on-one -on -one conversation and connect with somebody too. So, right. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to make a conscious effort to get a little bit more off of, uh, like I don't have Facebook and you know, my, my book is almost done. I have to like get into that whole, like, do I get an Instagram account? Oh, and it's going to be a bestseller because of this podcast. This thing's going to move millions and millions of copies just right here. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, at least tens, tens of copies. Tens of copies. That's right. Uh, no, you know, there was a big trend last, the last couple of years, I'd say about these people that were doing like dopamine fast. So yeah. they would no screen time. No. Um, I mean, I don't even know what all the different activities of, uh, no personal one-on-one -on -one in the bathroom time. I know that was one of them they were avoiding too. Um, and those kind of things, uh, anything that would give you like a dopamine rush like that, they were uh, cutting out of their lives. And it, it's kind of an, uh, that'd be something, that might be a challenge that, you know, one of, one of us should take on for 30 days. Uh, we'll see. We'll see which one of us that is. <laughs> yeah, you go first, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Getty Images, you know Getty Images. If you Google any image, Getty, it's like, that's the image I want. It has Getty Images on it. That's the guy that Kevin Spacey was supposed to play before he got kicked out of the movie and they refilmed the entire thing with uh, Christopher Plummer. 
That is that is correct. Um, <laughs> Getty Images is suing the creators of AI art tools, Stable Diffusion, for scraping its content. This is from The Verge. Uh, Getty Images claims Stability AI unlawfully scraped millions of images from its site. Uh, it's a significant escalation in the developing legal battles between generative AI firms and content creators. This this is really a fascinating. Uh, dilemma because it's like on the one hand uh, I'm an artist I put all this work into creating this art AI comes along scans my entire catalog whatever that may be and then it can start generating versions of my art um, does it have a right to do that even if I was the inspiration even though that the art that it's creating is different I mean, I'm thinking of um, like the defense that they could come up with would be like, well, we scanned it, but we scanned the watermarked versions and we, we, we drew the inspiration from the watermarked versions that are publicly accessible. Um, yeah, but it's, it's an interesting question because the, the thing is, is that if it, it, you, it's not considered plagiarism, if you change it, I think it's, I forget how much it is. It's like 40 or 50%. If it's like, I have no idea what the legal definition of that would be. Yeah, but if there's enough changes to a certain piece of art, it's no longer plagiarism. So okay. uh, the, the the question is, is is what what is that line going to be? I mean, uh, I, I honestly don't think that AI will ever replace creativity because all it's doing is it's doing different versions of someone else's uh, input. In fact, I, I actually think because people are going to be relying so much on these types of tools and and their inability to interact with people are it is going down as we already talked about. I think that people who can create something original are going to be more in demand because I think that skill is going to be harder to find than people. Uh, that's a that's a very good point um, because it'll be less incentivized to be developed in people um, at least in the short run. Uh, because of all these different AI tools that are that have come out, and, and remember, the, but there has been backlash already on on some of the stuff. And we talked about that uh, in the last episode. But it, like for instance, art. Um, I know that there was an AI image that won an art competition, and the backlash was so great that many of these uh, different award companies have now banned anything that was generated by AI. And, and so there's there's there is that backlash, and people do value uh, human generated content. At least right now they do. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be this will be an interesting kind of topic to follow to see uh, which which side really wins out. But I, I do tend to think that there will always be a market. At least, well, maybe not always, but like there'll be a market for quite a while uh, for some people that, that would just refuse AI content, whether it's uh, whether it's the written word, whether it's uh, the you know arts, or whether it's music that are just going to be like naturalists in that regard. So there will be there will be a market, and maybe it'll be a smaller niche market. Uh, but that, you know, you can have some major success in those small niche markets too. So, yeah. And as we've talked about on the show, you just need to find your niche. So um, yep, that's a big, big thing. And the smaller, the better. And I think we're, I think we're seeing that trend continue uh, as time goes on is that these, these niches that are like very, very specific and tiny are, uh, are the ones that smaller companies are having the most success with because they're, you become that expert in that one particular obscure skill uh but you are the guy or you well that, so that that comes down to the next thing you know at the beginning of uh the year i was like looking at what are the most in-demand skills uh for for the year and uh so new uh data from linkedin every year linkedin releases the top skills uh that that people 
that want, right? The most hireable, fastest growing uh, marketing and sales jobs. Most in demand, desired. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as far as uh, the fastest growing marketing and sales jobs are concerned, this is just for that particular uh, niche. Uh, customer success consultant, right? Which is yep. just basically salesperson. Uh, sustainability manager. That's kind of interesting. That that's uh, becoming a thing. Well, uh, well, one second there. I, I would I would argue that a customer success consultant is more responsible. Like this is a big thing I think in the SaaS industry is people buy the software. So this is after the sale is completed, they come on, and it's getting them used. Like their goal should be to get them to use the software to so that they are more likely to be retained as longer term clients. And if they can get them to have success with the software. They're not only they become um, long-term clients, but they also become they also become brand advocates, and they start telling their friends about it. Yeah. And so, I think people are recognizing that there can be a system to kind of generate word-of-mouth referrals by having these like customer success managers. That's the idea, I think, that they're operating under. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, sustainability manager, product operations manager, sales development representative, hmm. chief growth officer. Mm -hmm. Enterprise account officer, growth marketing manager, cloud engineer, business development representative, chief people officer. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> talking about personal, you know, you talked about your one-on-one -on -one, uh, personal skills, your social skills. There it is right there. The people officer. <laughs> <laughs> I can help. I'm, a, I'm the chief police officer, people officer around here. That's a response to the lack of social skills that you're seeing. I think though, I think you have these people that are yeah. good enough or competent enough at their jobs, but they're so bad at interacting one-on-one -on -one with people that they have to like bring in like a people manager to do that part of the work. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, there's also other skills that like hard skills that people should know. So some of the top hard skills you need to know SQL which is a structured query language. This is uh, way above my pay grade. Yeah, and mine, mine too. I've never, I, I got a little bit into programming early on and I probably should have stuck with it, but I didn't. And now it's, I feel like it's kind of too late for me now. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be happy as a, as a coder, man. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, solo work. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might, it might be interesting for a while, but... Yeah, for about 10 minutes, you'll be, you'll be like bored out of your mind. Yeah. Uh, basic coding is also a skill. Uh, project management. Mm -hmm. That's always been it's always been a major one. I actually, I think that is going to continue to be a, a very relevant uh, skill just to keep your team members organized, especially with the rise of virtual work. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's harder to monitor, uh, you know, micromanagement is not really a thing that's available uh, to a lot of these companies anymore. So they have to find new ways to just make sure that people are able to produce and that they're actually doing the work and not, you know, cramming eight hours of work into 30 minutes at the end of the day kind of thing. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, Google Analytics, I'm happy to say, is uh, uh, an in-demand skill. Thank God I, uh, I got my brain around that, as well as digital marketing. So for the time being, I still uh, am employable. <laughs> that is good. And I, I think um, uh, some good topics for us to discuss this year will be to get into some of these more... Um, Advertising platforms that we haven't talked about as much, like maybe the ad platforms on TikTok, if it, as long as it stays legal in the, in the U.S. and legal in uh, in Europe. Uh, but also like more on YouTube ads. Um, and even if TikTok gets banned, that style of video is available now. Like Instagram Reels is a clone of TikTok. YouTube Shorts is a clone of TikTok. 
there's uh, they might there's been talk about Twitter reviving Vine, which they had purchased in 2012 or so, and they kind of like killed that project, but they still own it. So there, you might see that as like another TikTok clone kind of thing. So I, I do think uh, that might be something interesting for us to do in a future episode is really talk about how uh, advertising could be successful in that format of uh, micro videos, music, generated video, short 30 second, 60 second clips, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and it's interesting because as I look at this list, video, uh, uh, in fact, I just, what did I read it last year? Video creator or video producer uh, or video, like video content maker, uh, wasn't, it's now, it's now a video design, I think is really the key word because it, it also, uh, gets into like motion graphics and, uh, 3d environments, uh, those types of things. So I'm actually going to update my LinkedIn profile. So it now says video design rather than, uh, uh video content creator. So, uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta stay relevant with the, with the trends. Th this is something that we talk about. One other thing that uh, people are using AI for, uh, and we don't have to go deep on this, but just to mention it is that like AI can be used to recognize trends early on and then get out in front of them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be, um, I think a lot of smart marketers are going to be using it in that, uh, with that function because of that, it's sometimes it's hard to recognize a trend until it's too late. And if you get in too late, you, you miss it. You miss the boat, but if AI can somehow get you in there uh, early enough, then. So, so what you're saying, if we're, if we're really to boil down everything you just said into one tiny grain, it's uh, marketers learn to use AI to manipulate people better. Well, uh, I mean, yes, that's, that's not really what I said in this, in this sentence, but I mean, definitely that's, that's definitely true, but <laughs> up the top five of skills that you need to learn. Uh, so this is where I'm probably going to become a dinosaur machine learning, cloud computing, blockchain, app development, and artificial intelligence. That's the list. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like programming those things, like we're not going to be having a lot of to add to those conversations. Like I don't know how to program machine learning and anything like that. Now, when it comes to operating a, uh, a platform like GPT chat or something like that, that's where we can add some value, I think. Well, it, interesting. So, so I, there is one, uh, one more skill that Forbes uh, mentioned, and I just want to mention here, and they said it was the number one skill you needed to know, which is data storytelling. Do you know what data storytelling is? I, this is the first time I've heard of this particular phrase. Uh, I've not heard it phrased that way, but yes, I mean, I, I would say that you are looking at internal data. So like uh, customer patterns, um, sale, you know, sales patterns, recognizing, you just could get into like Pareto principle too. Like maybe you have a product or service that's making 80% of your revenue and you're, you're kind of like spreading your attention too, too far wide. Um, so if you could recognize what story that data is telling, you could, you could centralize your efforts into what's the most successful and kind of focus on that. But, but data storytelling too is, is just, um, I mean, in the advertising world, you know, you're, you're recognizing, your ideal customer. This, this, this data is telling me exactly who my ideal customer is. The, um, I can create a story around a, the life of that person. And I can tell that story through, uh, yeah. through ads. So, I mean, that's what I would think of this anyway. Well, according to, uh, Forbes, essentially the focus will be on transforming data into digestible and useful insights to be shared. And most importantly, understood across teams, external parties, and stakeholders. So basically, a boil that. That's exactly what I said, right? No, I'm kidding. It's not what I said at all. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what, what it is is you take you take a whole bunch of information, make it into a cool infographic, so they can put it on a PowerPoint presentation during the meeting, 
and go see. Or, or if you want to pitch uh, venture capital, you know, you're like, you need these data storytelling PowerPoint slides. These are the ones that are going to get those attention of the, of the investor. <laughs> uh, actually, you know what I think? I think that in the next few weeks, we should actually do an episode on data storytelling. What do you say? I like it. Yeah. I gotta, um, I gotta up my game on the, uh, on the, on the phraseology of data storytelling so I can be absolutely sure I'm understanding exactly what they're talking about there. But I mean, I, I think I know enough to, uh, again, add value to that conversation too. That'd be fun. Yeah. Or at least fake your way through it like we usually do. Or I can get on GPT chat and uh, pretend like I know everything about it. And I'll just be reading the GPT chat script that it spits back out to me, <laughs> which is something we talked about before we hit the record button on the show is uh, that it's easier than ever for people to fake expertise because of the rise of AI and people have been uh, doing that successfully before AI was even at this level. <laughs> so it's going to put that problem of um, fake experts in the marketplace on, uh, on steroids, I think. So we might, yeah, I mean, it didn't, it didn't take much. Just go onto Facebook and look at how many fake viral experts there are, you know, yeah. I mean, or crypto experts. I mean, well, they went away, but I mean, they were there for a while. <laughs> they were there once upon a time. And they'll be back. They'll probably be back. I still think they'll be back. Maybe not. I mean, we'll see. But there'll be another run. I think there'll be at least one more run of crypto in the next uh, three years. But by 2025. Great. So it'll give you a whole new opportunity to lose money. Yep. I love it. I always looking for those opportunities. <laughs> well, that's it uh, for this show. Just a quick news update, uh, and then we'll be back hopefully next week with a brand. Wait, wait. What about uh, what about any sex robot news? Nothing, nothing on that front. Uh, next week, man. It's just the beginning of the year, you know. Oh, next week. Okay. Oh, stay tuned. That was my seed. Uh, I wanted I wanted people to uh, get excited for the next episode. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Andre Surgeon. And I'm Justin Womack. And we are the Marketing Geeks. We are out. Stay classy. Marketing Geeks, come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. Andre Surgeon and Justin Womack, the fun will never end. It's Marketing Geeks.